Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day, and I thank you for these people that gathered here today to, to worship you, Lord. And I just ask you to be with our service today and uh, just coming into this place. We love you, Lord. Amen. Um, just like to bring your attention to some of the people on the list. Um, John Crane is is doing better. He's progressively getting well. Um, he's been in the hospital for for several months, so it's been a it's been a fight, but he's he's getting there. Um, also, Julie Oldham, um, everything they're they're battling through right now, Lord, and uh, just the whole year of 2020 would be a good prayer by itself. Coronavirus and everything else, uh, missionaries, churches, uh, the pastoral search team, just that someone would be led here by the will of God to, uh, to fill the pulpit, um, especially our country during this time as well. And uh, before I start praying, um, just like to give a little background of the Vlam family and, and Scott. Um, they're for, from Oakmont Church over there in Bossier City. Um, so they're coming over here today to, to bring the word to us. We pray with them. Dear Lord, I thank you for, for everyone here. Um, thank you for, for life and for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Um, I just ask you to be with everyone that's, that's on our, our prayer list, Lord, and, and so many more. Um, everything involving this country and uh, just the whole world, Lord. The whole world needs you right now. And forever as well. Um, I ask you to bless uh, Brother Scott as he comes up here today um, and just speak to him and, and uh, lay, lay what you need to on his heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Am I singing? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was my cue to come up, but I wasn't for sure. But so good to be here with you this morning. I will sing if you want me to. <laughs> I don't know that song, but but I'm so glad to be here this morning. Good to see some familiar faces as I was coming through the door and be greeted. Talked about how um, beautiful it was uh, walking across the parking lot if I could have just seen through the my fogged up glasses. <laughs> So I know what you mean, Reuben, about the, all the things of 2020. It's um, not to make light of. It's been a lot of serious problems that have happened through that. But just a lot of irritations and frustrations also, too, isn't it, that uh, we just have to deal with from day to day. But So it's good to see your faces and kind of put all that at ease for a minute uh, this morning. And I uh, thank you for you uh, welcoming, welcoming us here today. Um, like I said, my name is Scott Lamb. I grew up at the... Goodwill Church of God over in Oak Grove, and um, actually I was here at this church. I went to NLU when it used to be called NLU, and uh, back in the 90s, and I was here at this church in 1993 as a, a youth intern. So some of you might remember that. I, I spent a few months here as part of the uh, Cypress Street Church of God body, and it was great times. So I'm glad to be back this morning. Um, do you like making choices? We make them all the time, don't we? Sometimes big choices, sometimes small, sometimes seemingly insignificant. 
Sometimes I just get tired of having to make decisions, don't you? Even after this, we're going to have to decide where to go eat lunch, right? That's always, we spend an extra 20 minutes out in the parking lot. I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? And then we make decisions all the time. Now our nation just had a big decision day recently, didn't we? That's been all the talk. Don't worry, I'm not going to be taking us down a political road this morning. I'm thankful for the freedom and the ability just to be able to make choices, to be able to choose. But I have to live with the results of my choices, don't I? Both enjoying the rewards of my choices and suffering the consequences of my choices. I'm thankful this morning that you chose to invite me to be here this morning. And I'm going to embarrass my parents. Y'all turn around and wave at them. They're walking in the door right now. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful that they chose to come today too. <laughs> I wasn't sure if they would or not. Um, glad to have y'all. Come on in. <laughs> Don't you hate it when people do that? I had a professor at uh, NLU, and if you walked in late, he would always point you out and make you be noticed. So I honor you parents. I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> but um, I'm thankful that you chose to invite me, send an invitation to be here this morning. And I'm glad that I chose to accept the invitation. And by the time this is all said and done, I hope that you're glad too. But I believe the Lord's directed me to... Um, Lead us this morning to a passage in Romans chapter 6. And we'll be reading most of the chapter at some point throughout the message this morning. And this lays out some choices for us to consider. So let's get into his word. Romans chapter 6. We're just going to go ahead and start at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Don't you love that phrase? Walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen on that one? Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we have 
we have it at our fingertips, really, ready. Uh, always there for us to uh, look into. God, forgive us for how we just make light of it. We don't read it like we should. We don't meditate on it. God, we know this is, the, this is life for us, and we're thankful that you give it to us and you provide it to us today. God, we pray that you speak through your word to us today. Speak around anything that I might say that is contrary to what your word says, and speak your truth today through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Romans 6, Paul gives us some choices here and a little insight into what the new life looks like. What kind of lie will you believe? Have you ever believed a lie? Yeah, I have. You, you'll believe the kind you want to believe, right? For one thing. The kind that has some truth or some semblances of truth in it. Now the devil is master of those kind of lies. He's the master of lies in general. So don't fall for him. He lied to Eve and deceived her. Adam and Eve made the choice to believe Satan instead of God. Remember, God had told him something, then Satan comes in and kind of says, did he really say that? And kind of convinces them or puts a, a thought in their mind to make them doubt what God had said. And then they had a choice. Do I believe God or do I believe this? It sounded good to them and they went along with it, abandoning what God had told them. This led to their demise and to the curse on all humanity, really. Have to be careful what we believe and don't be deceived. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Now in regard to sin, kind of go with me here on this and imagine some things that Satan might say to us. You can't help it. You might as well not even fight it. It's just the way you are. God made you, didn't he? He made you this way. You can't help it. Just accept it and live with it. He might say, your old man is not surely dead. Remember we just read that in Romans 6? The old man is dead. He's alive in here. You just got to let him up. Let him stretch out. Get him moving again. God just wants you to think that he's dead. Let him up for some air. Don't you remember all the fun we used to have together? Okay, so God gave you this new life and all. I get it. But you've still got your old life too. Remember us? What about having your cake and eating it too? We can all live together. That's what God doesn't want you to understand. He says your old self is dead, but you know down deep it's not true. He wants you to live completely for Him. He said Himself He's a jealous God. He says you'll have it all exceedingly, abundantly, or some nonsense like that if you live all for Him. But think about it, really. You know you can't really have it all if you don't include me and the old self again. You ever heard things like that? <laughs> the devil will come at you and try to get you to believe something that God is saying is contrary to that. And he's a master of lies. 
Now, true, God did make you. But as a Christian, He's made you new, right? A new creation. Don't you remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new, a new creation or a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You now have a new freedom, and with that, you can choose your own master. You're no longer under sin's control, and with the help of the Holy Spirit living inside you, that's what happens when you become that new creation. The Holy Spirit living inside you, you can help it. The devil will try to say you can't help it. You don't have to just accept it and live with it. It's your choice to keep the old man buried or to let him come out and play. Now the devil's right. It is only natural for you to live and act sinfully. But to borrow a quote or a line from a song from one of my favorites growing up, Stephen Curtis Chapman, <laughs> he said, you have not been made only natural. You've got the supernatural spirit of the living God alive in you, giving you power. So you don't have to be only natural. Let's read uh, verse 11 again. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard. If, if I've lost you. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm in now. So do you really want to be alive to God this morning? Do you want to rise up to that life that God intends for you and wants to give you? That life that's exceeding, exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever imagine. Do you really want to attain that kind of life? That was a question. <laughs> Y'all want that? If you do, then you have a choice. Let's keep reading in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. In the NIV, I think it says, as those who have been brought from death to life. I love that. From death to life as those who are alive from the dead. Now, if you were dead, and then you were all of a sudden not dead anymore, you were alive, that would be some good news, right? That would be something to be excited about. That would be something that you could relate yourself to what Paul is saying here. Have you ever known of anybody who had a death-to-life experience? Or had a, um, a testimony of that? I mean, we can read in Scripture... Um, we think of Lazarus, right? Lazarus, of course, was a great example. And he had this powerful testimony that so many people were coming to Jesus and accepting Jesus as the Messiah because of that death-to-life experience that Lazarus had. It's a, a powerful testimony to people who are watching. Um, I remember Brother Earl Moore. Remember him uh, from years past. He had a death-to-life experience where he was talking about being electrocuted. And being, being pronounced dead, and then he, was, he came back to life. And um, that, I remember as a kid, that speaking to me. 
Maybe I got some of the details wrong, but that's how I remember it. <laughs> but uh, death to life, as those who are alive from the dead, that's us. That's us, church, those who are alive from the dead. So there were some choices there. It says, do not let, do not go on, and present yourselves. In those two verses that I read, verses 12 and 13. And you might be thinking, those sound more like commands than choices. But it's your choice. You now have the power, because of your identification, as we read in Romans 6 so far, your identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ in your own life, you now have the power to choose to not let sin reign. Don't let there be a transfer of power back to sin. You have the power over that now. It's your choice. Before Christ, we had no choice but to obey sin. It says we were enslaved to it. It reigned us, reigned over us. It was our master. But verse 14 now says, For sin shall not be master over you. Again, it's your choice. Your choice. It's now our choice to obey or not to obey. What if you do choose to let sin reign? What then? Oh, what a shame. To have the power and then to transfer it back. That's exactly what the devil wants. He knows you have to be the slave of something. Let's keep reading. Verse 16 says... Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So a slave of sin... Or a slave of righteousness. Either way, you're a slave. You might say, well, I thought I got freed. You're still a slave to something, according to this. There was an old preacher from years gone by named Ray Stedman. This is probably over 50 years ago. He tells a story of visiting Los Angeles one time during the days of the Jesus people. Anybody remember that? Now, that would be a good name to have, the Jesus people. I wouldn't mind being called a Jesus person. But during the days of the Jesus people in Los Angeles, he saw a strange-looking character. He tells a story, seeing a strange-looking character across the street, and he was wearing a sandwich board. Remember those? And on the front, it had something. It had a little strap over the shoulders, and then there was another board on the back. And on the front, he said, it said, I'm a slave of Christ. And then he turned around and he saw in the back of it said, Whose slave are you? I'm a slave of Christ. Whose slave are you? And it's a good question, isn't it? Because according to what we're reading here, we're really a slave of something. We're either a slave of sin or a slave of God, a slave of righteousness. And it's our choice again. Every day we have two ways we can go. You can go toward sin or you can go toward God. To go toward sin, guess what? You're a slave of sin. You go toward God, you're a slave of righteousness, of God. We like to try to maybe have one foot in each, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? You've got to make up your mind which way you're going to go. 
It reminds me of Elijah on Mount Carmel when he was about to have the challenge there and he had those who were worshiping Baal and those Israelites who at one time had been worshipers of God and he said, why do you keep wavering between two choices, between two opinions? If God is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, serve Him. Make up your mind, basically. And then remember Joshua, when he was giving his challenge to the Israelites, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. The devil wants you to transfer the power back to sin. But if you choose to transfer the power and let sin reign, and you present your members to sin like we read about earlier, let's read what the results are. Verse 19 through 21. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. The results, the outcome is death if you choose to let sin reign. Now, when Christ was crucified, his body was buried in the earth. And then he rising to life, he exited the tomb in his glorified body. Now, when we're, as we just read in Romans, when we're crucified with Christ, our old self, is die, our old self dies and is buried. But until our physical body actually dies, like Jesus' did, until our physical body actually dies, the dead body of our old self, now I hope I'm not losing anybody here, is still occupying this fleshly body. That old self that we crucified with Christ is like we're still carrying it around with us until this body dies, this fleshly body dies, and then we receive our glorified body. During that time, it's like we're carrying around this thing with us. And I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and indulge me a little bit here on this comparison I'm about to make. Um, it may not have ever been spoken from the pulpit. <laughs> but I see this as almost like a zombie-like being. Okay, don't shut me out. Everybody knows what a zombie is, right? Okay, when I was asked a few weeks ago about coming here, this is during all the, you know, the monsters are lurking around in October and all this. And something about American culture over the last few years that kind of has this fascination with zombies. Have you seen a lot of it in TV and stuff with uh, The Walking Dead and things like that? The, this zombie-like creature, indulge me here for a moment, it's like that old self. It's dead, buried, according to Romans 6. But it's like it follows us around. <laughs> Wherever we go in this life until we die and we receive our glorified body, we're having to deal with this and deal with it daily. So a zombie was a zombie like. You, can you picture a, a, a zombie? You didn't think you'd be picturing a zombie in church this morning, did you? 
It's this slow-moving ghoul or whatever. It doesn't seem like much of a threat, but they're very menacing. And if nothing else, they're very persistent, aren't they? They just keep coming after you. It seems like they're really hard to kill for good. After all, they're already dead, aren't they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they are. It seems like no matter what, they do, what you do to keep them away or put them down, they keep coming after you. So how do you kill the dead or the undead or whatever they are? How do you put an end to them? Or as Romans 6 says, how do you do away with it? Did you know? <laughs> Did you know that there are articles and there are websites with information on how to kill a zombie? I'm serious, there are. Don't go looking them up. But, but without going into reading all that to you, just let me summarize what I found to be the sure way, according to that, according to all these references, on how to kill a zombie. You've got to destroy its brain. Destroy its brain. Now, if you thought it was a wooden stake through the heart or a silver bullet, you got the wrong monster. That zombie just got you. Now you've got to destroy its brain. Now, to me, that's interesting in reference to our old self that we're reading about in Romans 6 here. Because also what the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 40, uh, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And I think I had it marked for you. It says, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. So the old mind, it says, well, when a person is converted and becomes a Christian, they get a new mind. Remember Romans 12, 2 says they're transformed by the renewing of what? Renewing of your mind. So the old mind was to serve yourself and your lust, your evil desires. The new mind is to serve God and to do what pleases Him. We've got to sever the mind of the old man. Destroy his brain in zombie talk. Put off, as Ephesians 4 says, and kill down the old man. Matthew 16, 24 you'll be familiar with, where Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself is another way of saying, die to the old man. Die to the old man. And might I add, this is something we have to do daily. We have to be conscious to put forth constant daily effort to keep the old man in the ground. I hope I'm, you're following me on my, <laughs> my uh, comparison here. Keep the old man in the ground. That zombie's persistent, remember? <laughs> you got to do this daily. Remember, the old man is dead and buried, but as long as we're walking around in this body of ours, he's lurking just under the surface, waiting for a shot at life again. Ready, looking for a, um, hoping to take another breath, looking for a foothold to be able to climb out of that grave. Matthew Henry, do you know who he is? He was a Bible scholar from ages past. He wrote a, a very popular Bible commentary. 
He said something that makes me think of maybe God him maybe God gave him the zombie idea too. <laughs> Says he wrote the corrupt nature called the old man because derived from our first father Adam is crucified with Christ in every true believer by the grace derived from the cross. And listen to this what he says. It is weakened and in a dying state though it yet struggles for life and even for victory. I think he might have seen it how I'm kind of seeing it. <laughs> it's like that old man is just wanting to come back up to life. And we have to daily keep him down. We have to daily not give him a chance at life again if we want to live as a slave of righteousness. Not give him a foothold to boost him up to the land of the living again. We got to keep him cut off. Now, do you agree? Is this something that is important for us in our Christian living? Is this something that you can, um, you can uh, somehow identify with in your life? If it is, then let's consider together some possible practical applications on how to do it, how to cut off that old man, how to keep him in the grave, so to speak. How to keep the old man down. Now, i got three ways that we're going to do this. I'll try to go through this. First of all, for sure, don't feed him. <laughs> don't feed the old man. Don't give him any sustenance that might promote his revival. It's like an old stray cat. You know what old stray cats will do if you keep feeding them? They'll keep coming back, right? <laughs> They'll keep coming back. You keep feeding them, they're going to keep coming back. By all means, don't feed him. It's almost sometimes like you can feel the old man's stomach growling. Like there's something in him that he wants again. And you have the choice of whether you're going to give it to him or not. Whether you're going to feed him and let him kind of get a little revival of life again. Or if you're going to say, no, I'm going with the way of righteousness. I'm a slave to God now. Choice. We have these choices all the time. Don't feed the old man. You've got to cut off rations to the old man. You've got to impose an embargo of food to the old man. You've got to remove from the menu the items that you know used to be mm -mm, so good to the old man. The new man's got to start a new diet that will keep the old man starved to death. Does that make sense to you? got to start a new diet that will keep the old man starved to death. We can't think that I can keep the same foods on the menu and that the zombie's not going to come after me. As good as you remember those things to be, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can still safely indulge in those old pleasures. Watch out. He's going to get you. You've got to starve him out. James, in the book of James, he writes in the first chapter, remember he talks about uh, being tempted? And he said each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own evil desires. Now, was James addressing this to non-Christians? He was addressing this to believers that had been scattered throughout the Roman world, to, to Christians. So this is saying to me that even Christians can have evil desires, right? 
We can't feed those evil desires. We've got to starve out that old man. You following me? All right. Secondly, well, before I get into number two, let's talk about our new diet. I said the new man has to have a new diet to keep the old man starved out. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the old man can't live on that. He will die out. He will stay starved. But you, the rest of the verse says, will be filled or you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Remember the story about Jesus speaking to the woman at the well? And he just had this great encounter with the woman at the well. Then the, the disciples come up to him and they try to bring him. He said, we've got to get you something to eat. He said, uh, we've got to feed you. It's in John chapter 4 if you want to read it later. But Jesus, remember what he told him? He said, my food. He said, I have food that you don't even know about. I have food that you don't even know about. He's trying to, they're trying to give him something to eat. I have food that you don't even know about. He said, what do you mean? Did somebody just bring you some lunch? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of the Father. My food is to do the will of the Father. So let's think about that in the opposite. To do our own selfish will, not the will of the Father. Who's that food for? That's food for the old man, isn't it? That's food for the old man to keep him going again, to keep him going, but he's dead. We don't need to be feeding the old man. We don't need to be feeding ourselves with our own selfish will. We need to be, our food should be on the new menu, should be doing the will of the Father. Jesus himself said that he was the bread of life. Jesus himself needs to be on our menu. On our menu. We need to be const, have a constant diet of Jesus to sustain our spiritual life, our new life. And to keep the old man starved to death. So let's, one, starve him to death. Two, don't entertain the old man. Don't entertain the old man. There's a clever um, song that Mercy Me had a few years ago. It's kind of like a breakup song with your old self. <laughs> it's called So Long Self. It says, well, it's been fun, but I've found somebody else. So long, self. There's just no room for two, so you're going to have to move. So long, self. Don't take this wrong, but you're wrong for me. Farewell. Now stop right there because I know what you're thinking, but no, we can't be friends. This has to end. Just go away. Go away. So that was a clever little breakup song, so to speak, that this Christian band wrote about breaking up with the old self, not having anything to do with him anymore. Don't invite him to tag along. There's no room for him in the new relationship. There's no room for a third wheel. You ever been in one of those situations where there was a third wheel along? You got to cut him off. Don't entertain his company. Don't visit places, real or virtual, that he would enjoy being. That will just give him another shot at life. As the new you, your sources and venues of entertainment are going to have to change some. We're warned about this, uh, John chapter 3, where he's talking about being children of light. John 3, 19, 
says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. If we find ourselves liking darkness rather than light, it's a dangerous place to be. We may be sparking a revival in the old man. As the new you, we've got to change our venues of entertainment. If you even just think it possibly might be a bad idea to venture there, stay away. The spirit of the living God is alive in you. You have the power to resist. Use that renewed mind of yours to make a wise choice and avoid certain things. Flee from them even if you suspect it might entertain the old man. Flee. It's an interesting word. F-L-E-E. -E, not the kind of uh, flea market. right? Not that. Flee. F-L-E-E. First -E. Corinthians says flee immorality, flee idols. First Timothy and Second Timothy says flee from the love of money, flee from youthful lust. And then one of my favorite stories about that is Genesis 39. Remember uh, Joseph? And he was in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife kept making advances at him, and he kept resisting, and it finally it just said in verse 12 of Genesis 39, it says that he broke away from her, leaving his garment, and fled from her. He fled from her. Matthew Henry, the guy I was talking about that wrote the commentary earlier, he said this about that. Sin is against God, against His love and His design. Those that love God for that reason hate sin. The grace of God enabled Joseph to overcome the temptation by avoiding the tempter. He would not stay to parley with the temptation, but fled from it as escaping for his life. If we mean not to do iniquity, let us flee as a bird from the snare and as a roe from the hunter. So Joseph considered the sin that he's faced with and the situation he's in. He sees it as something not to entertain the thought of, but to what? Flee from. To get out of there. Not to linger around and play with it, but to get away from it. And like Matthew Henry said, as a roe from the hunter. Do you know what a roe is? A roe is a deer. Have you ever seen a deer when it senses danger? <laughs> Those ears pop up. They're twitching around. And as soon as it sees there's a hint of danger, it's gone, right? It bolts out of there. It flees. We need to be like that roe who's sensing the hunter is coming and not entertain it, not try to see if we can withstand it, not try to play around with it, but just get out of there, right? Not entertain it. So don't entertain the old man. So we're saying don't feed him, don't entertain him, and the last one, cut off his lifeline. Cut off his lifeline. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination with me again. Picture a diver, and not one of those with the flippers and the mask and he's swimming around underwater, but one of those old kind with a big helmet and the big weighted down boots. 
and they got the tube running from their helmet up to the boat, right? They're walking around on the bottom of the ocean. Have you seen those? You can picture that in your mind? Okay, so you've got the oxygen hose going up to the boat. That's his only lifeline to be able to keep doing whatever he's doing down there and have any hope of coming back to the surface. Now picture yourself on the boat and a knife in your hand. <laughs> now if you want that man to stay down there and buried in the ocean, never to come back to the surface again, what are you going to do with that knife? You're going to cut the line, right? Cut his lifeline. Now this might sound morbid, <laughs> but we're talking about the old man who's dead and we want him to stay dead. We don't, want him to be, we don't want to be giving him power in our life again. God has told us the old man is dead. He's been crucified. We have a new life now, and the old man has no power over us anymore, unless we choose to keep giving him power. So let's not give him any more power. Let's, cut, let's not feed him. Let's not entertain him. And let's cut his lifeline. Cut the line. It seems clear, but it's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? It seems like there's always that one thing that somehow we want to keep that old man hanging on. That one little lifeline to the old man. Do you know the devil knows that one thing? That one thing that you're holding on, that you're giving life to that old man? He knows that one thing and he'll exploit it for everything it's worth. He'll try to convince you that surely God will understand this one thing and he'll overlook it. It's going to be okay. But careful who you listen to. You have the choice. You have the power over it because the spirit of the living God is alive in you. It's your choice. Cut the line. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus about him, Inheriting eternal life. You remember that story? Jesus responded, this is in Luke chapter 18. He responded in verse 20, he said, You know the commandments, and he started listing some of them. Do not commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And then the, the guy says, Yeah, I've, I've done those since my youth. And then Jesus goes on to say, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. And he went on to tell him what it was. In his case, it was his wealth, his riches. So I don't forget any or leave anything out. Let me read this. Luke chapter 18. He said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus hit on the, one, on the man's one thing, didn't he? That one thing in your life is important to Jesus too. How important is it to you? It's your choice. Do you really want to be alive to God in Christ Jesus? like we read about in verse 11. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. Don't give the old man that lifeline. Cut the line. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. It's pretty 
Wow, this hits hard. It says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you? Surely that can't be right. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, he says it again, I guess he must have been it, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now give me just a moment to read a little commentary that was on this in my Bible. It says, when Jesus said to get rid of your hand or your eye, he was speaking figuratively. <laughs> he didn't mean literally to gouge out your eye because even a blind person can lust. Ooh, that's pretty deep, huh? But if that were the only choice, it would be better to go into heaven with one eye or one hand than to go to hell with two. We sometimes, and I want you to get this part, it's what I underlined here. We sometimes tolerate sins in our own lives that left unchecked could eventually destroy us. It's better to experience the pain of removal than to allow sin to bring judgment and condemnation. That one thing, what a shame. If we hold on to that one thing and we don't, like this says, get rid of it, that one thing could lead to our destruction. Remove whatever keeps you from living the new life. Take every action necessary to remove anything that causes you to sin. And keep that old man buried and dead. Pluck it out. Cut it off. Cast it from you. Whatever it takes. Even that one thing that you keep justifying and assuming that God is just going to overlook. To you, it might mean cutting your cable line or casting away your modem or your smartphone. It might mean quitting your job or giving away some of your money. It might mean stopping a relationship. Whatever it is, cut the lifeline to sin. We can't compromise with sin. We can't make peace with sin. It'll kill us. If we truly want the abundance of the new life, and you said earlier you did, <laughs> we've got to cut the lifeline back to the old life. We've got to stop feeding the old man, stop entertaining him, stop giving him opportunities to life again, and pull the cord on him. Like the man at the Bethesda pool, do we really want to be whole? Do we really want the new abundant life? Do we want to linger around with the old dead life? Or do we really want to take possession of the treasure of a new life? That's what we have through Christ. One more Matthew Henry quote and I'll close. He says, true believers are dead to sin. Therefore, they ought not to follow it. No man can at the same time be both dead and alive. Hmm. He is a fool who, desiring to be dead unto sin, thinks he may live in it. 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. Are you thankful for the new this morning? The new that you have in Christ. Praise the Lord. This morning, let's determine to cut ties with the old man. To not feed him. To not entertain him. To cut his lifeline. And let's walk in the new, victorious life we have in Christ. Like the old song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's stand and pray this morning. I don't know how you normally end a service. I'll let y'all do that how you normally do, but I'll pray while they're preparing. God, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful for the, what we're told by Paul in Romans 6, that we can be as those who are, who are alive from the dead, or as those who have been, been brought from death to life. God, we're thankful for that new life you give us. God, we're thankful for the victory you give us in that. God, we're thankful we can walk in that and we have the choice to do that. That sin is no longer a master over us. God, help us when we struggle with giving power back to sin again. When we struggle with the idea of reviving the life of the old man that's been dead and buried. God, it's a daily struggle. God, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that you promised to live in us to help us. God, you give us the power. You give us the way out of any temptation, any evil desire that we're dragged away from, from our own self, to be tempted to do something against your will. God, you give us the power to resist that, the power away from it. God, you give us power for victorious living. God, we're thankful for that. Help us to make good choices. God, help us to always choose life and choose you. God, if anyone here this morning is struggling with something that's in their life, that maybe they're, they're experiencing what we're talking about this morning, of maybe just entertaining that old self too much, giving him too many things on the menu to munch on, so to speak. God, I pray that you help us to realize that we have the power in you to live in victory. We're thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.